You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, here we go. Welcome back to BXB Bronx Baseball Podcast. Keith McPherson and Chris McMonagle joining you today. I don't know what day it is. I don't know what time it is. I'm in the Pacific Northwest. I'm running around Seattle. <laughs> Uh, I'm at the All-Star Game. We booked this podcast with the legend Brian Hoke before I even knew I was going to the All-Star Game. And uh, the Players Alliance, shout out to them for bringing me out here. They put a bunch of stuff on my calendar. And since they paid for my trip in the hotel and everything, I'm like, I think I need to be at all of these events. So I just came back from a panel with uh, Curtis Granderson, Edwin Jackson, and CeCe Sabathia. But I had to hustle up to try and get here. Uh, for one of my favorite people in the Yankees universe, Mr. Brian Hoke. What's up, Chris? What's up, Brian? Thanks, Keith. Hey, let me get that. You just dropped something. <laughs> dropped the yeah, he did. Wow. Oh, yeah. Uh, not yeah. flexing at all. Just, I, I, hey. I'll tell you what, I'm jealous, man. That, that's great. Uh, All-Star Week is always one of my favorite times, so have a blast out there. I thought you were out like throwing the fish in uh, Pike Place Market. That's where I thought you were. <laughs> no, I saw Jeter was doing that, though. Um, mm. Yeah. Jeter, Ortiz, Alex, Rodriguez, and Kevin Burkhart, the new Fox crew. They had those guys there yesterday. Uh, totally I, a normal thing that I'm sure Derek would do any other day sure. of his life. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm Derek, sure that was funny. not for TV at all. No. no, Derek is a Fox guy now. And, it, you know, the crew of, of A-Rod, David Ortiz, and Derek Jeter is still yeah. kind of awkward to me. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they don't play into it at all. So it's, you know, it's, it's okay. Oh, no, they do. Yeah, but um, I I tell you what, I never thought Derek would be a TV guy. Yeah, you know, and he told me yeah. so many times that he said you would never catch me doing TV. I'll never I'll never want to be a commentator or a broadcaster. Like when I'm done playing, I'm done playing. I want to be an owner. And then I guess he got to do that with the Marlins, and now he said, "All right, I'll go make some easy money and go go to the London series and go to the All Star game. It's not a bad gig." Yeah, I don't money him. talks, money talks, and money can change some things. And um, plus, sure he's got kids. He's got kids. Yeah, he's got, he just Come had on. a son. He's got four kids. And Fox <laughs> comes through with a multi-million dollar deal. He's like, all right, I can put in a couple dates. Yeah, I'll pick up the phone. Why not? I'll go to London. I'll go to Seattle. No not bad at all. Two places I've been that I like a lot. And uh, <laughs> I'm enjoying it out here. Uh, like you said, the All-Star Game is great. I call it the baseball festival. There's just so much going on. But um, BXB, the reason that we're here is to talk about the new book, 62 judge is not here with the toe injury 
But last year, we had a magical ride to uh, the new AL home run record. And Brian Hoke has written a book about it. And I'm sure it's fantastic. Brian, if you want to start off telling us um, what even made you do it or uh, the thought process behind it or how long it took or anything, just start filling us in on that. Yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, the book is called 62, Aaron Judge, the New York Yankees and the Pursuit of Greatness. It comes out tomorrow, uh, published by Atria Books. You can get it at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. And uh, while it's a book about last season, it, uh, most of it is actually the connection of these three great Yankees right fielders in Babe Ruth, Roger Maris, and Aaron Judge, all of whom play the same position, same city, same team, uh, different eras, of course, but kind of just threading the needle between the history of these guys and what makes 61 and 62 now so so important. And I got tons of behind-the-scenes stuff, stuff that I didn't – uh, couldn't report at the time. And then and now I've gone back and uh, kind of reliving it, revisiting it. Uh, Roger Maris Jr. wrote the forward for the book. Aaron Boone did a preface for it. So uh, it, it really is the complete story of everything Judge did last season. It's a biography of Judge, but also a biography of last season. And I think that any Yankee fan, baseball fan, uh, even if you watched every single Yankee game last year and you lived it, there's stuff in this book that you haven't found out yet behind the scenes stuff that I feel like people are really going to get a kick out of and be excited about. Uh, Brian, when did you get the idea to, as Keith said, when did you get the idea to do it? Because obviously heading into the season, there's the contract negotiation, uh, the up the deadline up until opening day. Then Brian Cashman comes out and gives the numbers out and there was controversy there. It, it leads into kind of the whole vibe of opening day and you knew it was going to be an impact year for Aaron Judge. So did you have an idea that Aaron Judge was going to be a topic for you or a study case for you and then the home run chase started? Or did you get this idea with the home run chase as it was going? I knew it was the biggest year of Aaron Judge's life. Uh, I didn't know that I was going to be doing a book about it. But when he got off to the start, he did. And he actually started a little bit slowly after turning down the, the money and then he caught fire. And uh, I think that when he got to around July, and it was right around this time, actually, you look up and he's around halfway to Roger Maris's record. And you say, geez, he's he's on an MVP track here. The Yankees are playing out of their minds. They have a 15 and a half game lead in the East at one point over Boston. And you say this could be a really special year. If it's not just an MVP year, the Yankees could go all the way this year. I mean, the sky seemed to be the limit. And of course we know what happened in the second half with the injuries hitting and then judge single-handedly brought them to the postseason. And so it turned into something that I didn't even anticipate. And I think that when the Yankees were in Anaheim for home run number 50, that's when it was kind of like, okay, like you look at how many days are left on the calendar. You look at how he's playing, how the rest of the team's looking. It was kind of like, all right, the story here is Judge, and uh, I mean, everybody is focused on this one number, and the the fact that you've got uh, national broadcasts cutting in on college football to show Aaron Judge, it became this phenomenon that was way beyond Judge being a good baseball player or the Yankees being a good baseball team. This was like a national story that it became, and I feel like everybody was swept up in it. Maybe, I, I think part of it is that it's the first true home run chase we've had since the McGuire sosa Bonds years where we obviously know that those are now different, and we just look at them differently because of the steroid use. And so uh, if you ask me who the home run king is, it's still Barry Bonds, and that's what Judge says too at 73. But – Roger Maris Jr. 
the family, uh, the, the entire Maris family, they now believe it's judge at 62. And hey, so I think we're all entitled to have that debate. And we go into that in the book as well. And um, I think it just gave us a lot of talking points to jump off of. Judge's chase kind of fuels that conversation in so many different ways. And obviously it's enough to fill a book. Yeah, with, with Judge, uh, how, how much were you able to speak with him during the last like couple weeks where it was 60, 61, 62? I remember getting on WFAN and uh, saying I didn't I didn't care for him to get 62 because I saw the pressure. I saw how, uh, you know, much it was taking a toll on him. And I was always, you know, thinking about October and getting to the World Series in the postseason. But um, how much were you able to talk to Judge during that time and then after about the pressure he felt and uh, just his day-to-day routine? Because it was strange going into those games. Those games, uh, I remember being in Yankee Stadium, he hit a double in the fans' I love that. That's I love that. That's in the book. That double down a left field line, and you have the crowd that was so quiet too. It was like the Masters golf tournament, and yeah, he hits a double. He's running in the second base, and you just hear this kind of oh, it's like what are we doing here? Yeah, so that that was definitely a fun part of the book. Um, you know, during those that time there where he gets to 58, 59, 60, 61, Aaron was very good about making time for the media. He knew that he was the story. And that's part of what makes him so good at this is that he knew whether he hit a home run or went 0 for 4, that's what we were going to be writing. That's what the TV shows were going to be talking about. So he was actually uh, very good about that. And I kind of contrast it. I, I did in my mind in real time and also in the book about against what I know of Roger Maris in 1961. We've seen the Billy Crystal movie and that's a little dramatized, but it's pretty close to the truth. Like he actually did have those patches of hair coming out. He had a weird rashes popping up on his body. The stress was really getting to him. And I think that the difference between those two home run chases is that last year it felt like everybody wanted Judge to do it. His teammates did. Even the opponents, when they weren't playing against the Yankees, they they wanted to see him do it. You know, obviously nobody wanted to lose to the Yankees, but if they could win the game and see Judge hit a home run, they were cool with that. I feel like in 61, and I talked to uh, two of the remaining members of that team, in, in Bobby Richardson and Tony Kubek, uh, they kind of lent some light on what it was like to be in the clubhouse at that time and the fact that uh, – Half the world didn't want Roger Maris to break that record. They either wanted Babe Ruth to hold the record forever, or if some Yankee was going to do it, they thought it should be Mickey Mantle. So uh, Maris had all these kind of things pulling against him, and uh, it was it really became a negative, whereas Judge last year, it was kind of a celebration. It was all positive, and when he finally did it, everybody was thrilled about it. Yeah, I, I also wonder about the idea of going through it with a teammate because we just mentioned like it's him and Maris, uh, excuse me, and Mantle going through it together, battling, feeding off each other, and for a right. time, uh, and for a time with Judge, especially the second half, as you mentioned, it's almost like he took on more than the team, and maybe there was a time where Mantle Maris became more than the team. Uh, I wasn't around for it, obviously, but the idea of going through it together, where it was almost like Judge was kind of isolated while everyone else was struggling. And we've seen the struggles continue into this year. The team for a year now has, other than judge has not hit. So he doesn't have. I've noticed that. Yeah. Have you noticed that? It's funny. I did. Uh, I heard something about that. (laughs) So he didn't have a Mickey Mantle. He didn't have someone who, you know, he could either lean on, even if there was an outside the world uh, dichotomy of we want him, we want him. They still were going through it together. 
was Judge yeah. did Judge did Judge have did you did you get the impression? Obviously, him and Rizzo are close. Their dogs are very close. Mm-hmm. But like, do you get the, the 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 idea that he had guys he could lean on through this, or is this something other guys couldn't relate to? How did it work for him in the clubhouse with his teammates while the games were going on, and it seemed it was more important what he did than what the team did. Well, don't forget, there is somebody in that clubhouse who knows what it's like to hit 59 home runs. That's in right. Season. Yeah. That's Giancarlo Stanton. And so wouldn't that have been great if Stanton could have stayed healthy the whole year? He could have been Mantle. He, or I guess you would flip flop and one would be Maris and one would be Mantle. But anyway, right. the point is, yeah, to have somebody else kind of pushing him and going back and forth, that would have been a fun story to tell, too. Uh, unfortunately, Giancarlo couldn't stay healthy and that, that's not the way it worked out. But he, he was definitely a sounding board at times, especially when they got to 50. Uh, because not many guys have done that. And in the media attention, I, I wouldn't compare it what Stanton had that MVP season in Miami just because it was Miami and it's the Marlins. And it's, you know, I mean, not to denigrate them in any way, but it's just not New York. It's not the Yankees. And so uh, the national media, I guess, wasn't coming in. We didn't have ESPN or they didn't have ESPN coming in the way that Judge did every single day and uh, tracking the game and making it kind of bigger than just those nine innings. So, yeah, Rizzo was a sounding board for him. Um, John Carlo was, and, and to an extent, Garrett Cole was too, in a lot of ways. But he had so many guys in that room that he could trust and lean on. And I think that really helped him in so many ways. He told me about that too, saying that what the guys did for him was to just keep it normal. Even though it was kind of like when you have a pitcher working on a no hitter or a perfect game, and exa- a perfect example, we just saw it with Domingo Herman. They were talking to him in the dugout, and part of that is the way baseball is now. But nobody was making it weird and being like, oh, don't talk to Judge because he's got to go hit later today. It was kind of very much normal, and I think that's what uh, helped him so many ways because his focus never changed. Uh, Me and the media and the rest of the world might have been saying, oh, he's got 52. Let's see if he can get 53 or 54 tonight. But for him, it was always about what can I do to help the Yankees win a game, offense, defense, make a great play, take a walk, that kind of thing. He didn't really get out of his his game too much. I think he did down by the end, uh, definitely by the Texas series where it was just like, let's get this thing done already. And uh, the stress and the pressure got to him at that point. But in the 50s, through the 50s, he was just – Playing great. He was a great player playing uh, great baseball. Yeah. Uh, here's a question for you. How much in this book do you speak on the actual baseballs and the fans that got 60, 61, 62? I feel like, you know, this book is going to be a piece of history that fans can go get and save and have. But uh, I'll always remember the pandemonium in Yankee Stadium <laughs> around that. Um, so many casuals showing up thinking that they had a chance at a lottery ticket getting one of these baseballs. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, that's in there too. Yeah, that was a big part of it. Because it's part of the uh, the legacy and the, I guess the legend of 61 too. We, we talk still today, 62 years later now, about Sal Durante, the truck driver who caught Roger Maris's home run and was on a date with uh, the woman who was going to become his wife. That's all part of like Yankee history. So I did want to trace uh, all of those. And so I have it in there in the book that Judge, when he got to around 50, um, Eddie Fastook, who's one of the Yankees uh, security guards, came, went up to Judge and said, hey, I think I'm going to try to start getting all the balls for you. And Judge said, great. And so they were able to get most of the balls back uh, from 50 and up. And I, I talked to the kid who caught 60. He was a New York College, a City College of New York student. His name was Michael Kessler. And he caught 60 against uh, the Pirates that day, the day that Giancarlo hit the Grand Slam. And the kid was great because the Yankees went to him and um, people were talking about, oh, that ball might be worth $10,000. You know, he tied Babe Ruth. And, uh, uh, and he said, no, I just want to meet Aaron Judge. And so they said, great, come on down to the clubhouse and, and like, we'll sign back. You can have a ball, like whatever you want. Like, dude, fine for the ball. Come on down to the clubhouse. Great. And so, and then 61, of course, landed in the bullpen in Toronto. So there was a, a whole kind of drama there where, yeah, some of the players wanted to keep that one. And the Blue Jays caught it and they were like, uh, you know, this ball is worth a lot of money. Do we have to give it back? And Zach Britton told me about going in there and kind of uh, being the peacemaker here and being like, all right, we're giving Judge the ball back. That, that one belongs to Judge. And so they worked that out. He got that one back. And then 62, uh, you know, we, we talked a lot about that. I think we got snippets of that story. This is the part of the book that I did a complete 180 on because – um, you know, we all heard about the guy in Texas who caught the ball. His name was Corey Humans. And I think initially people looked up his bio and they said, well, this guy's rich. He works for this investment bank and he must be a millionaire and he just won the lottery. And this isn't fair. And, and this and that. And people were posting a lot of inaccurate information. And so I, I spoke to him at length for this and just to kind of get his side of it. And uh, there was a lot of that that was not true. Um, this guy lived in an apartment he had with his girlfriend, soon to be a his wife. Um, he did work for a big company, but he, he was kind of in the in middle there. He had an impressive business card. That was about it. Um, drove a kind of, you know, decent four-door sedan. Like this was not a guy in a mansion on the hill. And uh, he told me one thing that was kind of scary is that as he was leaving the ballpark that night, his address was making the rounds online and they were, there were starting to be all these sketchy people showing up at his apartment complex. And he didn't know uh, if they were going to try and jump him for the ball. And he's thinking to himself, he's like, I don't own a gun. I don't have a knife. Like, what do I do? How do I defend myself and my uh, my fiance here? And so they actually wound up leaving their apartment for 10 days and they didn't go home and they put it in the bank in a safe deposit box because I mean, what do you do in that situation? Like your life has just completely changed and suddenly you don't know who the good guys or who the bad guys are and if they're out to get you. So I completely did a 180 on that. I felt like there was way more to that story than I, I knew yeah. in real time. And yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, that that is crazy. It's, uh, unbelievable. But um, I want to ask you, is there a moment uh, on one of the home runs that we might deem, you know, innocuous or not that big a home run? Uh, where there's a nice surrounding story or, or a special moment for you that would be lost on us, a home run we might not even remember. Like we talk about. Well, I'll tell you. 
Yeah, I tell you, it happened earlier in the year. It was the, in Toronto where uh, the Blue Jays fan caught the ball and then gave it to the young Yankee fan and the nine-year-old boy, and he right, starts right, crying. Right. And it, there was a really emotional moment uh, early in the home run chase, and that's kind of – it became a human interest thing at, at that point. That, that moment went viral um, because mm-hmm. – yeah, and I have the whole story in there and, and quotes from – from them and I, t- I spoke to the, the nine-year-old boy that day in Toronto and um, then the judge brought them back for batting practice the next day and uh, that was a cool story and I, I kind of outlined that whole thing I, and when I went around the clubhouse actually this spring training we were finishing up the book and I had about five more days left until like it was the drop dead deadline so I was just going to talk to everybody I possibly could to not leave anything on the table and so I went around the room and I asked everybody what their favorite home run was and they kept coming back over and over. So many guys said the home run off Jordan Romano to beat the Blue Jays early in the year. It was a walk-off. And it's kind of funny because in the in the blur that was 62 home runs, I had almost forgotten about that one. And they, the players, really, uh, really, really loved that one. And that was kind of the one where they said something special is going to happen this year. And Higashioka, Kyle, and Kyle told me, and we hate, uh, we hate the Blue Jays. So you know, so that was always a big one too. And I feel like we've seen that this year too, where it's pretty chippy on both sides when when they play Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, I had to leave the stadium that night to get to WFA, and that was one I regretted. Uh, I had to leave early. Listen to that one on the radio, and um, I think he walked us off against the Royals and hit a homer uh, after that. And that mm-hmm. game, I was literally in the Great Hall, one foot in the door, one foot out, watching all the things. Because after you miss one, it's like you know you right. have that feeling, like you like you were just saying, it was historic, and you knew something mm-hmm. special was happening with Judge. Uh, let's transition into um, something not special that's happening without Judge. Uh, the Yankees' lack of hitting lack of power lack of just I don't know being able to consistently win games um it's crazy how much judge means to this team and uh the bet on himself year the 62 turns that into uh, a ton of money for himself and captaincy um what are you feeling now that we're in the all-star break you know the first half uh, with Judge's injury, you think Judge is going to come back in the second half and be the same player? You think they're going to, um, you know, shut him down? You think it's going to be longer? I think Chris and I both put August 4th as our date that we circled, fingers crossed. But what, yeah, what's the your Astro series? Yeah, what's your mind like that. about that? I like that idea. I, if if you can tell me, you guarantee me, Judge will be back the first week of August. I'll sign up for that, and I think the Yankees would too. Uh, there's been so much uncertainty about what's going on with uh, with his kind of situation. I think it's it's actually a good sign in a lot of ways that he's skipping the All Star game because that tells me that he thinks there's a chance. If, if he if he thought there was no chance of playing again this year, then he wouldn't be focusing on on recovery or rehab. He would say, I'll go to Seattle. I'll have a good time. So I, I feel like that actually, in a lot of ways, is a good sign that he feels close enough. I know he's been hitting and throwing and uh, doing some stuff there, and he's doing a lot of running on the uh, anti-gravity treadmill. So I, I think that August, that's pretty realistic. I think that uh, that's reasonable. And uh, certainly, even if you get him back at 50 or 60%, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think you, to sign for any time in August would be a, a big win for the Yankees, who obviously need to turn around their offense. As Brian Cashman made a move he hasn't made in his entire career as the Yankee general manager, where he fired a coach midseason. Uh, he fires uh, Dylan Lawson, the hitting coach, 
uh, which was a surprise to everybody. But since we're doing this already today, they've already hired a new. It's amazing. In a day. I never thought it would happen. <laughs> Not only did they have the fire, but they hired someone straight out of MLB Network, uh, uh, Sean Casey, former teammate of Aaron Boone. What do you think of the idea that Brian Cashman got to a point where he was so concerned with this offense that he made a move that many will judge as, you know, window dressing and not something that has a huge impact on the team. But still, Brian Cashman made a move, went out of his norm and, uh, you know, out of his comfort level and fired a coach midseason. What does that tell you about how Cashman views this offense and where the Yankees are right now? I think it tells you how urgent he felt like it was and that standing pat and waiting for things to kind of work themselves out, that was not a uh, not an answer. And he said something on the conference call with us yesterday that really stuck out to me. He said, look, it was not going to get better without doing something. And this is not a perfect cure. Um, I don't know what Sean Casey's going to bring. None of us do. Uh, he, he's never coached at any level. But I, I think that it told you that the messaging from Dylan Lawson was just not working. And uh, I think that internally the Yankees probably had tuned him out uh, in some ways. And so uh, clearly whatever he was kind of feeding them, it wasn't working. And so uh, obviously I think that that game against the Cubs where Jamison Tyone went eight yeah. innings, one hit, no runs, that was the final straw because uh, Cashman told us that he called Hal Steinbrenner the next day and said, Hey, I think we need to make a change at hitting coach. And Al said, if that's what you think will help, then do it. And so uh, I think he had just seen enough. And Cash, I talked to him a few years ago about that fact. And because there's always people who say, oh, fire the pitching coach or fire the hitting coach. And he says, I never want to do that. And I'm proud of the fact that I've never done it because uh, he wants to go into the season and then evaluate everything based upon 162 games. And he, for a guy who came up with George Steinbrenner, he, he's talked about how much talent they let get away because guys go into slumps. And so they fire this guy, fire that guy, and then they go on to great success other places, you know, coaches, managers, that kind of stuff. And so uh, he never wanted to be that kind of guy, and he, he likes the stability of it. But in this situation, they had to do something. Yeah, in my opinion, uh, I don't think the hitting coach really matters. Like, um, I think more it's, it's just sending a message, kind of a, a shock to the system. Like, hey, uh, you know, this is a sacrificial lamb. Someone lost their job. Someone that's yeah. been with us um, is no longer with us anymore. And I think it kind of, you know, puts a sense of urgency on these guys. Uh, you know, the Mets kind of went on a run after Steve Cohen spoke to the media after they DFA'd some guys and made some trades, I think you just need to do something. Uh, you need to change something so that people feel it, so that people realize like, hey, uh, you know, your jobs aren't locked in and this is all performance based. So with that being said, um, you know, usually on the podcast, we talk about the series that just was. I don't want to spend too much time on it. But uh, I mean, I was I'm, I'm here in <laughs> I'm here in Seattle and I was sitting in the hotel room watching the whole game. Uh, they have MLB Network, and it was broadcast. And I wasted my time. That game, they were cruising 4-1. And uh, what I want to say here is that the, the guys have to play better. If Glaber Torres makes that play, turns that double play, I think that changes the whole game. Totally, um, totally. And and I know fans have been uh, going in about it. And then even before that, the decision to pull Domingo Herman at 74 pitches, which I was fine with at the time because, uh, you know, it's we're going into the all-star break and you feel confident that your bullpen can get it done. But there's just something wrong with this team right now. And, uh, you know, Chris usually says, oh, you know, it's easy to, to say, you know, judge is the reason and it's a cop-out that they don't have judge. But 
Brian, like you're you're at every game, you're covering this team, you cover this team for years. Like, what is it? It's super frustrating for the fans, but like, what do you see from your bird's eye view with this team this year? They're, I mean, they're still, you know, right in the playoff hunt. They're still above 500, but they just seem disconnected to me. They can't consistently win. They can't sweep teams. Uh, you know, they they lost it. You know, the Cardinals. Uh, I just feel like there's a disconnect. Yeah, I think, well, a lot of that comes from the offensive inconsistency. And, and yeah, I mean, you can point to June 3rd and Judge going through the wall, but that didn't have anything to do with why Giancarlo Stanton's not hitting, why DJ LeMayhew doesn't hit, why Josh Donaldson didn't hit, why uh, Anthony Rizzo's not hitting. And they've gotten some decent contributions along the way. I mean, Anthony Volpe looks all right. He's, he's really the shift, uh, the stance change has helped. And uh, even Glaber at times has been offensively, pretty good and pretty solid for them. And Bader is a nice spark when he's in there, but yeah, they're just not putting it all together. And when you're not scoring runs, it looks bad. And there's no way. I mean, when you lose 14 to one to the, uh, the Baltimore Orioles, and then uh, uh, you have, you're getting shut down by Jameson Tyone who comes into a game with the ERA over six, it just looks mm-hmm. terrible. And so I, I always think that teams look lifeless and lethargic when they're not scoring runs. They just do. It's hard to look full of energy when you're getting, you know, two right. hit and wow. shut out. Um, but I, I feel like, like that's happened so much this year where they have just played non-competitive games. Look, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa has pitched four times. Yeah. And then Donaldson had to pitch another game. They've had five blowouts where you have to have a position player uh, pitch in a game. And for a team that came into this season talking about going to the World Series, that shouldn't be happening. So I feel like they need to clean that up in the second half. They need to put it together. And I do think right. it's on the bats more than the pitching. Pitching has been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and the defense, too. The defense, too, because you're right. Uh, they get the ground ball there. If Glaber turns to double play, we're not having this conversation. The Yankees probably win that game 4-1. to one, And they go into the break feeling good and say, all right, we'll go get them in the second half. Rest up, boys, you know. Yeah, no, and you're right. But, you know, we worry about and you mentioned defense left field right now is uh, a bunch of outfield outfielders from uh, that started their careers as infielders trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to play left field. Uh, obviously, they understand. And and Cashman, going back to the offseason, talked about adding a left fielder, left handed hitting uh, uh, outfielder. I think he assumed they, they could make it to the trade deadline without issue and have their other strengths overcome that weakness. And that's clearly not the case. But the Yankees need to make moves now, you would think, to this roster, whether it's calling up guys, whether it's trading for guys. Do you see this deadline moving anytime quickly? Because they, you know, we understand with the extra playoff team now, we understand right. how difficult it can be to, to make moves early. But they're at the point where they see enough of a reason to fire hitting coach. They've been embarrassed offensively. You just mentioned against Jameson Tyone and the likes of the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, can they wait three weeks while Judge is out to not make a move, to not shake up this roster? I don't think they should. They could, um, yeah. certainly. But I feel like uh, the, the move with Dylan Lawson, I think, speaks to the urgency where Mm. they just can't wait any longer. And so, yeah, you're right. You're right about the left field situation. And we saw that coming a hundred miles away and said, are they really going to go in with Aaron Hicks and Oswaldo Cabrera as the starting left field team? No, they'll, they'll make a move. They, they have to make a move, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and they didn't. And, you know, lo and behold, Cabrera wasn't able to recapture the magic from last year. And Hicks kind of was Hicks. And uh, that was just – that was never going to work again in New York. And so he needed a change of scenery. We, we said that last season too. And so uh, none of that was really a surprise that left field didn't work out. The surprise was that – they didn't address it during the offseason. So now, all right, if the plan was wait until the deadline, 
now they're on the clock here. And I, I have heard that the Yankees are uh, kicking around some pitching. They're looking for some pitching here. And, and that's, I guess, not a surprise. They're always kind of in the market for pitching. And now you're down Jimmy Cordero on the bullpen, too. So uh, that I guess that's not a shock. But that's what I've heard early on here is that the Yanks are looking at pitching. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that to get a real left fielder, not a, not a guy that you're just plugging in hoping he'll catch a ball once in a while. Um, yeah, you see the difference that Bader makes in center field defensively. I'm not saying you have to go get – somebody of that caliber, but get somebody who's played the position and, and can do it serviceably and, and hopefully and ideally hit a little bit. Cody Bellinger would be a good fit, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah that shot he hit in the first like game. I was, I was there. I was like, man, that'd be nice to see in pinstripes. That'd be nice for Clay's kid to be a Yankee. Uh, hopefully they go do that. All right, last question. Josh Donaldson, the fans hate him. I call him the whipping boy. There's always one. Uh, if it's Aaron Hicks and Aaron Hicks gets DFA, they're booing Aaron Hicks. With a thank you video. With the tribute video. I had yeah. no problem yeah. with that video at all. I was there that, that no. day too. I'm looking around like, what is wrong with everyone? But now Josh Donaldson, even when he does get a hold of one, hit home runs, it's like it's already too far gone. Uh, mm. He strained his calves swinging through a pitch and fans celebrated it. <laughs> like, yeah, now we're going to see Peraza. My question is, do you think there's a chance that we see Peraza in the second half? And do you think – um, Josh Donaldson finishes the second half with the Yankees. I don't know. I, that's a good question because he's had the weird first half here, and, and Boone would tell you that he's really only had a month so far. So that kind of tells me they want to give him a little more go there, a little more uh, time to to figure this out. And I, you know, you, you look at the analytics; he's hitting the ball hard. He does have ten home runs. The problem is he's not getting hits that are not home runs. And so I, I think that if that's going to keep up, you can't keep a guy in a lineup who's only hitting home runs and not doing it that often. But uh, there are signs there to suggest that there's more than he's shown. So yeah, you do a deep dive in the numbers and I, I feel like the Yankees do like his defense at third base. And so as of right now, seems like they're going to stick with Donaldson and give him a little more run here and try to see if he can figure it out. But you're right. Peraza, everybody knows he's knocking on the door and um, you know, I go back to what Hal Steinbrenner said in the offseason that he sees the Yankees' future in the infield as Anthony Volpe and Oswald Peraza. Well, is it time to make the future now? Maybe. Speaking about the future, before I let you go, Brian, I wanted to ask you one question about a previous project in a book you did, The Baby Bombers, because I've been uh, one who thinks that the development of them at the major league level and the lack of and those guys off the team have been a a major contributor to why the team is the way it is right now. So I just ask you, who spent time with them, talked to a lot of them, of the guys who have failed here at the Baby Bombers, Gary Sanchez, uh, Gleyber Torres has regressed, Clint Frazier, um, Greg Bird, which one surprised you the most? Which one did you really foresee having a great Yankee career that you're surprised isn't with the Yankees anymore and in some cases not even in baseball anymore? Yeah, you know what? You said not even in baseball anymore, and that Greg Bird shocks me because he came up in 2017, lefty first baseman, good glove, hit the big postseason home run. You said this guy, he's going to be a star in the big leagues for years to come, and uh, I guess injuries get to the best of them, but that one kind of makes me scratch my head because I did – even coming up through the Yankee farm system, uh, Judge was not the guy people were talking about. Guys were talking about Gary, and they were talking about Bird to go back to roll the clock back. And Judge was kind of like, oh, yeah, and they got this Aaron Judge guy too, and we'll see what he becomes. 
that if you went back in a time machine to 2015 and said Aaron Judge will be a future MVP and, and some of these other guys are not going to pan out, I don't know if people would have believed you in the Yankee farm system. So uh, I, I think that, yeah, uh, to some extent, they all kind of make me scratch my head. I, I don't know what happened to Gary. Um, you know, he was he looked like he was going to be a mainstay behind the plate and hit – hit like Posada and, and give you that kind of power and uh, you would live with the defense and, and just be fine with it. And they've certainly done that before and won championships. So I guess, I guess maybe a tie between Gary and uh, Greg Bird, but Bird definitely, I talked to him in, in spring training when he was with the Blue Jays and we were kind of just like, yeah, what, how did this happen? You know? So uh, that one, that one makes me scratch my head. Yeah. Well, Brian, you're the man. I think I said it on the pod and before you're one of my favorite people in the Yankee universe. Uh, when I ran into you in the bathroom in London, I didn't want to be awkward, but for some reason I thought I might not see you again. So I asked for a picture. <laughs> and here we are. Now I'm in your hotel room in yep. Seattle. Virtually. <laughs> so from a men's room in London to, uh, to this. Yep. Great. Oh, hey, well, make sure you guys had a nickel book. every time I heard a story like that. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't know, but make sure you guys get the book and follow yep. Brian and, uh, make sure you subscribe to the pod. That's all we've got. We pulled this one together from uh, Seattle to New York and remote and making sure that we follow up on BXB, the Bronx baseball podcast. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Chris. Uh, I've got to go get to this panel at two 30 for the players Alliance and uh, keep it running out here. And I'm exhausted. Honestly, I need another coffee, but they got great coffee. out here. You're in the, you're in the city of Starbucks, dude. Yeah. They, they have, they have great coffee. I went and saw the like original Starbucks uh, over by Pike's place. Sick. It's not exactly uh, the original Starbucks. Oh, I don't know. I, well, I, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin the. Uh, yeah. People were talking it's like awesome. it was, and there was there was thirty yeah. people outside the place, like it was the original one. I didn't go in there, but I'm like, oh, okay. The original was like a block away, and then it moved there, but it's close enough. Yeah. This guy's a historian. He knows it all. There you go. He's adding to the history with 62. Get the book. Subscribe to BXB Podcast for Keith McPherson, Chris McMonagall, and Brian Hope. That's all we've got. We'll see you next time.